In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Aren't these uh, young ladies doing a wonderful job leading our worship this morning? I'll just say to the young man working the camera in the back, I sure hope you got some shots of them singing, or I'm going to have a very upset grandma messaging me later. So, uh, as many as you know, as many of you hopefully know, uh, the thing that I like to talk about the least, at least in church, is money. I'm happy to stand here and ask for help when one of our brothers or sisters is in need, but talking about the offering or church finances publicly makes me terribly uncomfortable. In fact, I was having a conversation with the wardens the other day, and we concluded that one of us needed to stand up here someday soon and say something about our finances this year, and I flat out said to them, well, you two figure it out because it's not going to be me. (laughs) I I say this because uh, after being jokingly told last week that I should have preached on the gospel. I had fully intended to do so this morning, but if you were paying attention, you already know my problem. This morning's reading is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus. Okay, so maybe another week preaching from the epistle won't be so bad. But then you're reading through 1 Timothy 6 and you get to verse 17 and Paul says, as for the rich in this present age. And then you turn to our Old Testament reading or our psalm, and they're not much help either. So it would appear that the lectionary has forced me into a corner, and I have no option but to preach my way out. So here we go. The Bible is full of hyperbole. I appreciate this quite a bit because I speak hyperbolically all the time. Just ask my wife and kids. Something is either the best or it's the worst. It's my favorite or it's terrible. There is very little in between. I do not have a list, like a well-reasoned list of my top 10 favorite movies. Rather, there are about 10 dozen movies about which at some point I have said, this is my favorite movie. If we don't recognize hyperbole for what it is, we can misunderstand what someone is trying to say. And this is especially consequential when it comes to the biblical text. Jesus says in Luke 18, 22, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The church has always interpreted this type of language as hyperbole. It was meant to push the rich young ruler and expose something in his heart. It has never been commonly interpreted as a commandment for all the people of God to follow. Instead, more commonly, what we find when the Bible talks about money and the people of God is instruction like we heard in 1 Timothy 6 this morning. Let me read it again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, 
so that they may take hold of that which is, and I love this phrase, truly, truly life. That is to say that the Bible doesn't condemn people for having wealth, but does charge them not to set their hope on their finances, but instead to set their hope on God, because God is the one who provides. And those with means are to use this gift from God for good, to be rich in good works, as Paul puts it, and to be generous and ready to share, so that they are investing not merely in their retirement fund, but in their eternity, in the age to come. So that's one thing the Bible says repeatedly about money. If you have it, use it to do good, but don't set your hope on it. Keep your hope set on God. But there's something else that the Bible says frequently about money and wealth. And at first glance, it's a little hard to square with what the Bible says elsewhere about using our wealth for good. The Bible is unambiguous in its belief that the new covenant brings with it a great reversal in which the high, mighty, and rich will be thrown down and the poor and lowly will be elevated. If we just stick with Luke's gospel, from the very opening chapter, we hear Mary singing of exactly this. This is the Magnificat. He has shown strength with his arm. It's Exodus language. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Empty. Jesus says something quite similar in the Beatitudes. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then in the next verse, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. That's the reversal. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. That's the reversal. There is a reversal coming upon the world in which the poor and hungry now will inherit the kingdom of God while the rich are sent away empty. That's what's going on in our parable this morning as well. So please remember this is a parable. I know far too many people who want to draw their ideas about the afterlife from this story, which you shouldn't. Because one, it's a parable, but also because this particular story was very common in the ancient Near East. This is not a tale unique to Jesus. This is not his special insight into life after death. This is a commonly told tale that illustrates a future reversal for the haves and the have-nots. So how does all this square with what Paul says in 1 Timothy, where he doesn't say, hey, if you have money, you better give it all away so that when the great reversal happens, you'll be poor and inherit the kingdom of God. Since that's not what he says, how do we reconcile the two? 
I want to go a bit outside our readings this morning and solve this dilemma with a phrase used elsewhere in the Gospels. Uh, I meant to have it on the screen, but I forgot to put it up there. Uh, Jesus is referred in Matthew 11 and Luke 7, referred to as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was known, and even the most critical of New Testament scholars won't deny this, for being a friend to all the wrong kinds of people, in particular sinners, the poor, the needy, the outcast, and the sick. That is to say, when the great reversal comes... God won't be checking your bank account to see which side you're on. Jesus is going to side for the poor. Jesus is going to side for the hungry. Jesus is going to side with the stranger and the outcast and even the imprisoned because he has chosen, chosen to be on their side. He has chosen to be their friend to identify with them to identify with them to such an extent that he can say things like this for I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink I was a stranger and you did not welcome me Naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. That's how much Jesus identifies with the least of these in the world. And that's our way out of this problem. Jesus doesn't generally command His people to sell all that they have and give it away to the poor, but He does say, or technically His mother says, that there is a reversal coming upon the world and the hungry will be filled with good things and the rich will be sent away empty, so we had better pick a side. We had better identify with the right group of people. No one is asking you to give up every dollar that you have, but Jesus does insist for your own eternal benefit that you choose to identify just like he did with all the wrong kinds of people. He wants you to be known as the friend of the poor, to be known as the friend of the hungry, to be known as the friend of the stranger and the sick and the imprisoned, to be known even as the friend of sinners. Because the reversal is coming when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead. And He won't be asking to see your bank statement. He'll be asking which side you chose. He'll be asking with whom you identified the most in this world. Was it the rich? The powerful? The influential? 
Or was it the poor? The hungry? The sick? The outcast? The stranger? Or even the sinner? Be sure to choose the right side. Amen.